Thank you, Pastor Jeff and team, and thank you for being here. I was just speaking to a large group of new members right up here in the gathering room. It's a great multi-generational group, and I was just telling them we should have shown a picture of Lucy on the big screen, so something that Heather and Parker sent us the other day. If y'all can get a tight shot right here, I'll show y'all what Miss Lucy's up to. She's, uh, she's cool. She's, uh, she's chilling. So uh, they are... They're excited about heading this way. The, the folks came and looked at their house um, recently, and they've got housing secured here. And so we're super excited that in a couple of months they'll be here. And so let me get back to my message. We've got uh, something fun to do the next couple of weeks, a mini-series, just a little series in the Gospel of John. So head over to John chapter 10, the Gospel of John chapter 10. We're going to Talk about Jesus as the good shepherd. And then in two weeks, we have a very special Mother's Day message for all of you dear ladies out there, whether you're a mom or maybe a special aunt or just you have some young people in your life that you influence. We're going to be uh, worshiping the Lord and honoring you. And, you know, in the Bible, when we look at this idea of shepherd, we find it everywhere from the very first family on. Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, and Abel was a shepherd. There were men like Abram or Abraham, men like Isaac and Moses, and of course David, very well-known shepherd. The very first people given the announcement of Jesus' birth, they were keeping watch over their flocks by night. They were shepherds. And so we get to this wonderful writer, John. This is not John the baptizer. This is John the beloved or John the elder. And he also writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the last book of our Bible, Revelation. We were on Patmos, the Isle of Patmos, not uh, too many years ago, and we were seeing that traditional cave where John was said to have received the revelation of God, and we end our Bible with that. What's going to be fun is I'm setting the stage to hear from this writer again. In three weeks, I'm going to start a brand new book series all the way through the book of 1 John. We live in a world where there seems to be an awful lot of darkness right now, and so we need God's light. We live in a world that has tried to redefine love. But biblical love actually has boundaries. Biblical love has a very clear definition and trajectory. And we live in a world that has a lot of doubt. Can I have any assurance? Can I know that I know that I know? Well, yeah, you can if you have a life with Christ. So let me show you that slide. This will be our theme coming up. Blessed assurance, light, love, and life with Christ. That'll be our theme for quite some time because we're going to journey through every word, every verse of 1 John starting in just a few weeks. And so here we have the writer of this gospel, John, who was so close to Jesus. And I often recommend that if you've not got a quiet time going, or maybe you're a new believer, or maybe you've been in the faith a long time, if you would take the John three-week challenge with 21 verses in this little book, it's a perfect book to take three weeks, one chapter per day, and just slowly read back through the gospel of John, because he's all about who Jesus is. His Christology is rock solid. In fact, he has some serious close encounters with the living Lord, and he hears Jesus on seven different occasions declare, I am. The seven I am statements of John. You guys have heard that when Moses met God at the burning bush in Exodus 3.14. Moses said, Lord, you're asking me to go back and stand before Pharaoh. You're asking me to stand before the Hebrew people. What if they ask me who sent you? And God said, you tell them I am. 
I am the self-existent one. I was, I am, I always will be. Yahweh is his name. That's how you say that in Hebrew, Yahweh. In Greek, you say it, ego, I, me. So ego, like I, and I, me, myself. I am. Seven different times in John's gospel, the Lord Jesus, in the red letters, he said, I am. In John chapter six, he said, I am the bread of life. Think about that. He satisfies our deepest spiritual hunger. He was born in Bethlehem, house of bread. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, John 8, 12. He illuminates a dark world. Jesus said here in our text today, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the only entrance into God's flock and God's family. In verse 11, we'll conclude with today, he says, I am the good shepherd. I watch over you. I provide for you. I help you and I have concern for you as a sheep in my flock. He told those sisters, Mary and Martha, when their brother Lazarus had died, I am the resurrection and the life. I conquer death and I give you eternal life. Of course, you know John 14, 6, that exclusivity verse where Jesus said, I am the way, right? I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, I am. And then finally in John 15, 1, he said, I am the true vine, So I'm going to enable you to produce fruit and more fruit and much fruit and fruit that remains. You can read all about that in John 15. But here in chapter 10, Jesus is talking to the same audience he was talking to in chapter 9. Let me set the stage. There was a man who was born blind that Jesus healed. Well, the religious leaders didn't understand that kind of miracle. They had never heard of anybody being born blind and being healed and able to see. And so they begin to acquire, inquire, what, what's going on? Who healed you? And, and so finally this man born blind said, why do you want to know so much? Do you want to be his disciple too? Well, these guys were infuriated. We, we're the true, we're the true children of God. Look at our long robes. Look at how good we are. Look at how righteous we are. We tithe everything. Look at us. And Jesus was going to step in and say, whoa, boys, you think you're the real deal, but you're trying to climb into the fold of heaven through the righteousness built by your own ladder. You're trying to climb these righteous rungs. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. And Jesus said, that just makes you a thief, a robber, a liar. You can't get into heaven that way. You come through the one door, the one gate, the one shepherd You come through me or you don't come in at all. See, a lot of these religious elitists were were phony balonies, hypocrites, legalists. If I can just keep every part and piece of the law, I'll be okay with the Lord. Jesus said, no way. Let me tell you how to have real abundant life. That's the context. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. John chapter 10, we'll go 1 through 11. Most assuredly, verily, verily, amen, amen. Jesus says, okay, now, guys, listen up. This is going to be important. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he brings them out, when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. Notice he doesn't drive them, he leads them. And the sheep follow him and they know his voice. Yet they'll by no means follow a stranger, but they will flee from him for they don't know the voice of strangers. So Jesus used that illustration, but they, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, still didn't understand these things. 
Because Jesus was trying to tell them, hey, fellas, you're as blind as that guy used to be. You're blind by your own supposed goodness. And so he keeps teaching them. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, listen carefully, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. In other words, a lot of false religious leaders. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they might have life, that they may have it more abundantly, to the full, completely. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I love this passage of scripture. I am so grateful that you inspired John to write all of this down. I'm so grateful that we can come back and read it and study it and, and realize what you're teaching, not only those folks there, but what you're teaching us here and now. And I pray, Lord, that nobody here would think that they can climb their own ladder of righteousness to get to heaven, that they could somehow do enough religious things. I pray that we would let that go, that we would understand that it is a relationship with the good shepherd that matters. He's the only way in. He's the only hope that we have to see you and to see our loved ones that believed in Christ again one day. So speak to us, Lord, now we pray. Let us have eyes to see and ears to hear and then feet to do what you've called us to go do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, gang, gang, take a seat and let's talk about this for a minute. Let's look at a couple of points. This is going to be a two-part message, so I won't give you everything today. But let's talk about what the Good Shepherd provides for us. First of all, I want you to see that the Good Shepherd provides security for his sheep. Security. Look at 1 through 6 again. In this opening section, Jesus is giving an illustration. Not exactly a parable, by the way. It's more of an allegory. It's more of a symbolic representation or illustration that leads us to discover, to comprehend deeper biblical truths. In verse 6, the Pharisees didn't understand what he was saying. So Jesus went on in 7, and following, he explained it more. And he was comparing people to a shepherd and sheep. And he was saying, I'm the sheep, and you're the shepherd. I'm the shepherd, and you're the sheep. And that's a common comparison in, in antiquity. This is not new. Jesus isn't saying something so radical and so different. Kings and priests often called themselves shepherds, and their people were like sheep. The Bible makes frequent use of that analogy. I, I told you in the beginning, but you want to jot it down, that's fine. Many of the leaders who served the Lord and his people in the Old Testament were shepherds. I gave you some examples of Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and David. You could think of others, though. There are a lot of examples of shepherds in the Bible. And the shepherd enters through the gate into a walled enclosure, and a lot of times they put several flocks of sheep in a sheep pen. A lot of times it wasn't just my flock. But there was only one door. The sheep pens of antiquity only had one way in. So big rock wall stacked up. And like when you think about the shepherd leaving the 99 sheep in Luke 15, and he goes off to find the one and bring him back, sometimes we go, well, didn't the, didn't the shepherd care about the 99? Well, sure. But shepherds then, and even shepherds now, if you travel to the Holy Land, they often group up. If I need to rest for a while, if I need to go eat, if I need to go to the restroom, I'll leave my sheep in the care of another shepherd. But only, only my sheep know my voice. So I can't lead his sheep. I can merely watch them. 
He can't lead my sheep. He can merely watch them. And so they know who their shepherd is. They hear his voice. It's said when I was studying about this that Near Eastern shepherds in this region would have had their own unique call that the sheep would recognize. So they would gather around a specific shepherd. And it even goes on to say in verse 3 that he even calls his sheep by name. I don't know how he could keep up with all of that, but it's his job, so I guess he knows. I, I don't know that I could tell enough difference between a bunch of sheep, but he knows. And so when we look at 3 and 4 and 5, it says the sheep hear his voice. He calls them by name. He leads them out. He leads them in and out, right? They follow him because they know him. But they're not going to follow a stranger. They're going to flee from a stranger. There's something about the call. There's something about the voice of the shepherd that gives the sheep enough calm to go after them. And sheep aren't very bright, I can just tell you. When you study about sheep, they're just not the brightest animals in the bunch, but they know enough to know the voice of their shepherd. And I'm reading that, it's reminding me of growing up and going hunting with my father. We used to be a part of a very large hunting club in, in north central North Carolina, leasing thousands and thousands of acres with a bunch of guys in my, my family. And I can remember where they would get in the hunting club the night before the morning of the hunt, sun is still way, way, way down, and they would draw on a sheet of paper if we were going to stand hunt. Okay, you're going to a new area, and they draw out little, little directions on a paper or a napkin. And I remember even as a little guy being pretty scared to go in the dark and we're kind of trying to follow something with our lights or flashlights. We don't know where we're going. But it was always comforting. A lot of times I just walked right behind my dad. It was always comforting to hear him in the dark say, hey, are you all right? You with me? It's not too much farther. It was always comforting. And then starting to take little Bobby, who's not so little now, but to take my son into the woods with me and to say, hey, buddy, are you, you with me? Most of the time, especially when we were hunting Florida and with all the snakes and other things that will bite you, sting you, kill you, I said, you know, step where I step. Just stay in, in daddy's footsteps. And it's something about the voice of the Father that brings calm even in the dark. I think we have something to learn by that. There's something about knowing the voice of the Lord that gives us comfort, that he knows what we're dealing with. Look at a couple of verses with me. Matthew 10, 29. The Bible says God's eye is even on the sparrow. Not a one of them falls to the ground without God knowing it. Look at Proverbs 1, Whoever listens to me will dwell safely and be secure without fear of evil. Look at Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we're not going to fear. Even though the earth is removed, the mountains are carried into the midst of the sea. It's that song we've been singing that Pastor Jeff wrote. Be still and know that I'm God. How, how do you guys measure security in your life? Do you feel safe? Do you feel secure? Are you trusting in your finances or your job? Or are you trusting in the government or the stock market? We all know how those things can fluctuate. But the Bible says, look at this, I know you know these verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And what does he promise? He'll direct your path. He'll be there with you. He'll lead you. He'll go right before you. He'll be as close as your right hand. So we're, we're together with the good shepherd because he provides security for his sheep. Before I give you point two, you know, we've, we've had a lot of, of difficult days in our, in our area here. 
My heart still reels for the Austin East community and what they've faced in the recent months with five shootings. The latest as our DA came out and was giving her findings and the TBI investigation findings. You know, our hearts, folks, should break both for uh, the students and the families affected and for the officers and their families affected and the things that are going on in our nation, our hearts should, should long and cry out on, on behalf of all of these for peace and for healing and for all of these things I've talked about the last few weeks. We should cry out to God for those things and remember that the security we desire only comes from the Lord. The security and the hope we have for now and tomorrow comes straight from our God. And we need to be prayer warriors and we need to put feet to our prayers. And so the Good Shepherd not only provides security, he provides sustenance. Sustenance. I chose that word because it's, it's a pretty vivid word that talks about providing what is needed, like food, like water, to nourish and maintain life. He is giving us all we need. He sustains us, he strengthens us, he supports us. That word means all of those things. Think about the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness 40 years. And the, the Bible says that God gave them what they needed. The manna from heaven, the quail, the shoes didn't wear out on their feet. God provided. He sustained them. And when we look at 3 and 4 in these other verses where it says that they go in and out and they know him by name and they follow him, when we go to verse 9, it tells us why they go in and out. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. See, the purpose of the sheepfold, the purpose there of the, the, the enclosure was not come in here and eat and drink. It doesn't work that way. Come in here to rest and sleep. But go out there to eat and drink. Go out there to get what you need because the shepherd can't just keep you in the enclosure. He's got to take you out. And we as Christians can't just stay in our bubble. We can't just stay on the Grace Campus. We can't just be here when we go out there. He's also providing for us. He's also protecting us. He's also feeding us everything we have, a gift from his hand. Numbers 27 Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of, all, of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, that he'll go out before them and in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. The Bible doesn't want to see a group of sheep without a shepherd, whether that's in the context of a local church or the context of just Christianity in general. Jesus is our good shepherd. 2 Samuel 5, then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke and said, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past when Saul was king over us, you were the one, David, who led Israel out and brought them in. The Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people, Israel. You'll be ruler. See, David understood what it was like to be a shepherd. But unlike Western shepherds who would drive their sheep from the side or from behind or often use dogs, literally sheep dogs, the, the Near Eastern shepherd, the, the shepherd that Jesus is talking about, doesn't do that. You might remember the rope illustration I used a while back. I did a cord. You don't push and drive, you lead. I've said, kind of said it like this, true servant leadership is always by example, a call to imitate conduct. One of the things that I love about serving with the Grace Team, one of many things I love, both Grace Baptist Church and GCA, is that we have a bunch of folks who understand servant leadership. 
When we finish our all staff meetings, we do those a couple of times a week. The pastors actually get together every morning, as I've told you. We pray for you at nine o'clock. We, we talk about what God's doing, and we really try to focus our day on exalting the Lord and, and ministering effectively to our people and, and reaching beyond our own, our own congregation. But one of the things that impresses me most is when we have something to do, like our all staff will break, and there are a lot of tables and things that need to be cleaned up, chairs and sometimes food. Every person on this team chips in. Nobody stands in the corner not doing anything. Everybody grabs a chair, grabs a table, picks up trash, throws it away. In fact, if I, if I don't have people around me that want to pick up the trash, then I don't know that they need to be on the team. Because the best leader is the guy or the gal who's out front saying, not just y'all do this and you do that and you do that, but the one who says, I'll do this, join me. I'll, I'll be a part of this, now join me in it. 1 Timothy 4.12, even to young people, Paul said to young Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love, spirit, faith, and impurity. Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you. We've got some amazing young people here at Grace Baptist Church. We've got hundreds upon hundreds at Grace Christian Academy and through our preschool and, and uh, pre-K ministries and our after-school ministry of Grace Place and all of those things. And you can be a leader too. Just because you're young doesn't mean you can't be a servant leader. Peter would tell us, we studied this a while back, the leaders who are among you I exhort. I'm a fellow elder or pastor and I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ, a partaker of the glory that's revealed. I want you to shepherd the flock of God among you, serving, look at that, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Don't lord over those entrusted to you, but be an example. And when the chief shepherd appears, you're gonna receive the crown of glory that doesn't fade away. I love the fact that we have this example idea. Multiple times the apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now don't be like me if I'm not being like Jesus. But Paul would say, look, I have got my eyes on the Lord. I think I've told you guys before, between my undergraduate, finishing with my Bachelor of Music degree, till the time I started seminary, uh, just before I got my first assignment in ministry to be called as an associate pastor, and I did music and stuff, education. Before I did that, I was off semesters. I actually graduated in December and I needed to get myself through to the next year because in seminary with your languages, not as much anymore, but 20 some years ago, they were very, very sequential. So you did you know, Old Testament one, then two, and, and Greek, and then you, you would increase your load. So I needed, to, I needed a job and I was certified and qualified to teach music, but all I had had experience with was um, high school. I had done all my student work in high school. And so uh, there was one job that opened up in the midterm, and it was for an elementary school. And I knew I was just using it as a stopgap, but the school was happy because it gave them more time to search for the next teacher. So I went to an elementary school, K-6, 890 kiddos, 38 music classes, praise God for seating charts, and uh, I was terrified. If you've ever seen a kindergarten teacher walk in with such glee when she dropped off 28 little kindergartners with me, I didn't know. I mean, you know, and the thing is, something's always running out of a kindergartner or it needs fixing or tying, and, and that's just not who I am. And so I don't mind getting in and working on an animal and gutting it, but I don't want to touch a snotty nose if it's not my kid. I really didn't want to touch a snotty nose when it was my kid. So... 
the reality is it just, it was, uh, it was a little overwhelming to have that many students. But I remember praying, God, you're gonna have to help me here. I don't know what to do. I don't, a classroom, I gotta get their attention. I gotta keep their attention. So the Lord, I really prayed through this and I got four words that I found in the, the scriptures that really helped me. And it was just look, listen, think, and do. Those are my only rules. So they had to look at me, because if you get a kid's eyes, you've got about half the battle won. But then they had to listen. So don't look at me with a blank stare. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Then you gotta think about it, because if you tell a kindergartner to do something halfway through the sentence, they're on it. So you look and you listen, then you think about it, and then you do, then you obey, then you respond. So those were my rules. I didn't have any negative ones, just that. So I knew if you were looking, you were listening, you couldn't be talking, you were thinking, so you were engaged, then you would respond. And then I did a lot of imitation games, especially with the littles. A lot of imitation games. Okay, raise your hand. Okay, turn in circles. Okay, when you're playing the drum, don't go bam, you know, play it like this. Whatever the instruments were, and then the day that I introduced recorders, do you remember recorders? I had 144 fourth graders. I still have nightmares over what that sounded like. I can't describe it. Bellowing cows, stepping on chickens, sitting on whoopee cushions. I'm not sure what it sounded like, but I don't know that I'd call it music. But all I could get these kids to do, and, and it really it worked pretty well because we put on some pretty good concerts over the course of the semesters, but I, I could get them to just follow me. If you'll just follow me, and I'm going to teach you. I'm going to do the best I can to teach you, because when it comes showtime and mom and daddy are out there, I, I, all I can do is just help you, but I can't do it for you. And I think if we would just follow our shepherd, look what he's doing for us. Verse 9 says he's taking us in and out to find pasture. He's leading us to the water we need, to the food that we need. And we know that God gives us what we need if we listen and if we follow. See, you could say the same thing. Look to me, sheep. Listen to me. Listen to my voice. Think about what I'm saying to you. Now follow me. The quintessential example of that truth is in the 23rd Psalm, right? What does David say? What is David saying? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not he maketh me lie down in green pastures. Why green pastures? That's what you're eating. He leadeth me beside the Still water. You can drink here. Sheep are terrified of fast-running water. You can drink here. You can eat here. I'm going to give you everything you need. In fact, in the 23rd Psalm, I'm going to protect you from your enemies. I'm going to guard you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to take my rod and my staff. I'm going to do all of these things for you. But you've got to listen. You've got to follow. You've heard me talking about God's provision before. Think about Matthew 6, 25 and 26. Jesus was just saying you can't have two masters. You can't, you can't worship God and money. So choose the Lord. And remember, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you eat or drink or what you have for your body, what you're going to put on. Life's more than food. Life's more than drink. Life's more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. They don't gather into barns. And the heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of much more value than they? So God loves the little birds, but he loves you even more. Does God feed the birds of the air? Sure he does. But listen, they still have to get out and do a little digging. Those of us that are capable of working and providing, yes, God will feed you, but you got to get up and do your part. Well, then God's not providing. Sure he is. He gave you the body and the strength, the mind and the energy to get up and to do what you do. And God will give you everything you need. As my wife reminds me regularly, not everything you want, but everything you need there's a difference, but it's got to be in accordance with what he thinks is best for you, what he knows is best for you. 
Remember when we think about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 again, and when we trust God, when we don't worry about our own understanding, but he'll direct us. He'll lay down the path for us. It's amazing, God's provision. You can see glimpses of God's provision, guys, around you. Watch my wife give birth to three little girls and then a little boy. Superwoman. It amazed me. Any of you guys that have witnessed the birth of your kids, it's an amazing thing. But then something else happened. I watched her bring up those little babies on her chest, and I watched her begin to nurse those kids. And I knew what nursing was, but obviously had never seen it. And I, I watched my wife give our babies everything that they needed. Everything that little one needed until they were older, they got from their mama. You know, sometimes she would, would pump the milk and I would get to feed them, but most of the time she fed them. And I tell you what, guys, at three o'clock in the morning, that's a blessing from God. I'm gonna just tell you straight right now. That's a blessing. But I looked at that and I thought, boy, if, if, everything, if everything our daughters and son need, mama gives them, how does that work with me and my heavenly father? Everything I really need, everything I need in this life, my father provides for me. My father gives me. Yeah, I've got to do my part. You, you can't expect a baby unless they're willing to, to nurse, if they're actually willing to engage. If they're not going to engage, they don't even get the milk. But friends, our father provides all that we need when we trust him, when we follow his voice. You say, well, Bobby, you know, you talk about that, but I'm waiting to hear the voice of God. Well, read God's word out loud and his voice will sound a lot like yours. Because when we read the scripture, we are hearing from the Lord. We are hearing from God. Any of you that have had a real encounter with the living Lord will know that God will draw and tug and God will speak to you in that still small voice that sometimes is more audible than my voice now. I want you to remember that the good shepherd provides security for his sheep. He provides sustenance for his sheep. And y'all come back next week and I'll give you the last half of it. Because we've got some incredible verses in here like verse 10. I want you to remember how much Christ loves you. That he cares for you. That he'll never run away from you and leave you defenseless like a hired hand would do for the sheep. He's going to never leave nor forsake. He'll never put on you more than you can bear. As a kid, I'm going to close with this. As a kid, I love being outside. Every once in a while, if the weather was bad, I'd be inside watching, best I can remember on the afternoons, we were watching Gilligan's Island, sometimes Andy Griffith, and uh, some of the shows like that. But most of the time, I did get a video game when I was a kid, an Atari. Everybody remember Atari? Wish I'd kept it. It's probably worth like a million dollars now or something stupid. But uh, Atari, but I wasn't into that very much. I wanted a gun in hand, most of the time in the neighborhood, a BB gun. When we go off outside of the neighborhood, it would be a 410 or something else. But most of the time, a BB gun. And if any of my old buddies are watching, I'm sorry for shooting at you so many times. I love you guys. We would have fence wars. I don't know if you guys have done that with the Daisy Red Riders, where who could get closer to the fence and, and take the ricocheting BBs? I don't know how I have two eyes. I really, truly don't know how I have both eyes. We, we played all kinds of things, you know, the you'll shoot your eye out, you better run, I'm going to shoot your eye out kind of thing. It was fun. And so I, I, I'll admit to you guys, I terrorized a lot of the birds and squirrels and rabbits and small animals in my neighborhood. 
But on one particular afternoon, before I hooked up with my buddies, I remember getting home from school. We were blessed to have a, a, a large yard and about five acres of woods behind us, so we were always out and about and doing crazy things. Can you believe we rode bikes and didn't wear helmets or pads? We were rebels, man. We were rebels. And so I heard this funny chirping and got my BB gun, went outside, and no way could I... No way could I shoot because it was a little baby bird that had fallen out of the nest. I didn't know at the time. Now I know the kind of bird it was. It was a mockingbird. They're kind of gray and white, brown and white mockingbird. I didn't know that. But I did what every, I don't know, seven, eight, nine-year-old kid would do. I did what all of us would do. You go back in the house and get what? A shoebox, right? I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to be like Opie Taylor. No, I didn't kill the mama bird. Um, uh, but I'm going to feed this little guy, and I'm going to get him healthy so that he can go fly away. So I went inside, and I got the shoebox. And so I just began walking toward this little bird that had obviously fallen somewhere, and it was a tall tree somewhere way up there. It had fallen down, and it was making noise, so I was going to get it, except I didn't know that Mama Mockingbird was watching. <laughs> I don't know if y'all know anything about mockingbirds, but they are mean I'm talking about like rattlesnake mean, like rip your head off, you're right in the middle of an Alfred Hitchcock film kind of mean. She came attacking me, pecking at my head. I mean, I thought, what? In Come on now. But, you know, I, I thought for a minute, maybe I'd just take care of mama, but I knew that wasn't right. You know, that bird, and I tried and tried and tried. I'll be honest, I tried to get that baby bird. That mama scared me off. Little old bitty gray bird scared me away. And I put the shoebox up, and I think she must have helped the baby. It, it didn't die out in our yard. I don't know what ever became of it, but that mama did something. Probably the scaredest I've ever been in the woods was just a few years ago with my son. It was one of those times where we were on a, in a ground blind, and a little baby cub, a little black bear cub, was curious about my ground blind and came to within a couple of feet looking in the opening. Do you know why I was scared? Yeah, I was not scared of that cub. It looked like a teddy bear. I knew mama was hanging around somewhere. And one thing you don't do, don't mess with a baby mockingbird and don't mess with a baby bear. Because I'm going to tell you right now, mama will rip your head off. And if God built into the animals that kind of love and devotion and dare I say even aggression for their children, how much more does our father love us? How much more will our father come to our defense? How much more will he say, no, the enemy is not going to attack you. I've got you. Trust me. I know sometimes it feels like he's distant. I know sometimes it feels like your prayers don't go past the ceiling. I've had those days. I've had those weeks. I've had those seasons. But when we keep trusting in the father, he is better than a mama bird. He is better than a mama bear. He loves us and cares for us. And when you're down throwing a pity party, woe is me. Oh, the sky is dark and the sky is gray and you feel alone in this situation or that situation. Just remember how much Jesus cares for you. Stop. Hear the still small voice. It's the voice of the good shepherd. Stand with me this morning. I'm going to ask you guys really a couple of specific things. We had a lot of folks upstairs, which is wonderful. And they're going to be praying about their membership covenant and whether they become a part of the Grace family or not. There are so many good things happening and so many good things coming. I learned some things in the past few weeks that I didn't even know that I can't wait to share with you. 
But we need to be a people of prayer. And for some of you, you need to, you need to be a part of God's flock today, a part of the flock of Jesus. And you need to come and accept him. I'm going to have pastors on this side and on this side today because I know how far it is for some of you to go. We're going to have pastors on both locations. And at the end of the service, Cindy and I will be over here. We'll have more pastors and more counselors. So anytime during the invitation or after, you can come see us. Some of you just need to give your life to Jesus because the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus died for us. Jesus was buried and he was raised to new life to give you hope and to give you life right now. Not one day, but now. Secondly, there are a group of you that, uh, you, you are prayer warriors. You are people that pray, and we've got some folks in our church that are hurting. We've had several families experience loss in recent days. We've got one of our sweet sisters, uh, Janie Shelton, David and Janie. She fought, battled leukemia several years ago. Uh, lymphoma, I'm sorry, not leukemia, lymphoma. And that has, it appears, that's come back on her with a vengeance. Uh, they did not think, the medical professionals at Park West didn't think she'd make it through the weekend, but she's pulling through, and she's a strong gal. And on behalf of her husband, Dave, would you please be willing to pray for the Sheltons? You can do it where you are. You can come forward. A lot of people in her grace group came last hour. And then the state of our county, state, nation, would you just pray liberty and justice for all, for God's will, for protection, for the Prince of Peace to reign supreme, and for people to be impacted by the gospel, particularly in our own community. We have a couple of really great partnerships that we, we help in, in these areas, and we're going to try to do even more in our own community, in our own county. But you can come and pray. If you want to unite with the church, you say, boy, we just missed it. The class was there. But you can come let us know, and we'll get you on the next go-round. You can come say, hey, I think this is a place we want to be. How do we learn more? We'll be glad to talk to you about that. Whatever the case may be, we're just going to open up the altar for a few minutes. If you need to come pray for someone, if you need to come receive Christ, again, pastors are going to be available. So let's go to God. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so grateful that you provide for us, you protect us, you give us security and sustenance. Lord, I can't even begin to claim I understand that everything everybody in this room is going through, I don't even know. In the last hour, our dear brother James had to be taken out and we prayed for him again. We pray for Miss Leslie and the Tolman family. Whatever's going on there, maybe diabetes related, whatever it might be, God, I just pray that you would put a hand of peace and a hand of healing on our friend. God, Miss Janie needs our prayers right now, as does Brother Dave and so many that have faced a time of loss. So we lift them before you in Jesus' name. Move us to respond, Lord. Move us to do what you're calling us to do. Let us be a people of faith, a people of prayer, and we'll give you the praise and glory for what you're going to do now in Jesus' name. Amen.